Not, not just yet. <laughs> not just yet. Welcome to the show, Ash Ashes from Bath and Thompson Grey. And we're going to catch up with you a little bit later in the show to sort of chat about what's happening in your space. But welcome. Thank you. Great to have you here. And first up, um, I think she might be beaming in from Waiheke Island. Let's find out. Jess, good afternoon. Welcome to the show. Kia ora, Stephen. Yes, I am. Waiheke, is it a beautiful day today? It's a little bit windy today, um, but otherwise beautiful, yeah. Nice, nice. Well, your bio is quite something, and it says you're a popular author, international keynote speaker, experienced leadership coach with 15 years in HR and a background in the corporate world working in leadership development across many countries and industries, and you're helping businesses sort of speak and find their language it says so that's quite an intro Jess um take us right right. (laughs) (laughs) take us back when when did sort of this journey start for you I guess in in, in a passion and interest in leadership well I ended up in human resources quite accidentally um and by virtue of that I got to see I guess under the hood of a lot of different organizations and I got to see what worked really well what didn't work really well and I developed this passion for seeing people grow and seeing people be their best because of course that's what benefits our organizations and and our world as well and it was probably about eight years ago now I stepped away from my own career and started to write books on the subject and, and share my passion that way. Ah, that's cool. Now, speaking of books, we're going to talk shortly about Leader Zen, but you and I caught up a little while ago when you wrote a book, I Love Mondays, but you've also done the Superwoman Survival Guide and Burnout to Brilliance. Uh, what's it like being an author and, and you know putting pen to paper on this journey? I enjoy it. I don't think it's for everybody, no. <laughs> from what I've heard. But for me, writing's always been how I process my ideas and my thoughts and how I make sense of things and then what I get at the end of that is a product that well after a lot of editing can be shared with the world and hopefully help others um, understand those messages and the things that that I've learned. So a book like Leaders In, how long does that take from start to finish? Leaders In is quite a skinny book compared to my others and six books in it's a lot shorter now than it used to be so my first book took me about three years And Leader Zen took me about three months. So I think that's testament to anything that you do often enough, you get so well practiced that you (laughs) end up scaling that down somewhat. Mm, mm, Fair enough. Now, your book Leader Zen says it's self-mastery and mental fitness for calm, conscious, capable leaders. I want you now, for the first part of the show, is to unpack that. How do we become a calm, conscious and capable leader? Yeah, it's a very good question, right? <laughs> and it's um, harder, I think. Mm. When you look at what everybody is grappling with now, particularly in our organisations around hybrid working, talent shortages, 
engagement, turnover, burnout. You know, the world is changing and we do that alongside that backdrop of economic uncertainty and just a, um, a level of change and uncertainty that will continue well beyond our pandemic. And for me, uh, I had a unique opportunity, I guess, when I left my HR career to spend a year studying with Buddhist monks and nuns across the globe. And all of a sudden I was having this ancient Eastern wisdom, which of course is not just unique to Buddhism or, or the East, it's in a lot of our um, traditional, traditional indigenous cultures. And for me, weaving that with this Western people psychology model of what I've been taught in my career was really this aha moment of what is it that it takes for a leader to be, to show up as themselves, to be aware of what's mm. going on with them, to have that calm amid the chaos, and to, to stay fit themselves, because I think stamina and sustainability for leaders is probably one of the biggest challenges, right? Um, the whole mental fitness piece, you know, not only are we going through this ourselves, we're leading others and often responsible for others as well at the same time. Mm. Self-mastery, though, you know, looking after yourself in this process and, I guess, you know, I guess taking these steps yourself but still involving experts like you along the way i'm guessing that is the key yeah look i think leadership starts with knowing ourselves we can't lead others or lead ourselves even until we know ourselves well and that's that self-mastery piece it's that inner game and i think for quite a lot of us as leaders we are taught and often invest in uh often it's referred to as horizontal growth. So all of our technical abilities, which of course we're now seeing, the likes of, of a lot of the AI that we are developing mm. and will be <laughs> developed, will take care of that. So this kind of self-mastery element is often referred to as vertical growth. So this is the continuous improvement, the deep knowledge of self, knowing who you are and being able to stand in your power. And I think the best analogy I've ever heard to sum them both up to make more sense is that horizontal growth is like putting more in our cup, so continually adding content. Vertical growth is making the cup bigger. So for us, mm. it's about this self-mastery that enables us to be better, different, bigger humans to then navigate the world that's constantly changing around us. Speaking of constantly changing, you alluded to it before about, you know, post the pandemic. How has sort of leadership changed or, or how have the world's leaders had to change in this new sort of world post pandemic? Yeah, I mean, the world has changed a lot. I think for many leaders, we feel like we are spread too thin, a bit scattered, potentially a little bit reactive and overwhelmed. And we'd like to be in a space where we're spacious, calm, focused, and therefore responsive rather than reactive. And I think when you look at the pandemic hangover, for want of a better term, the hybrid working that we're all trying to make work, and the challenges of juggling low engagement with high turnover, a talent shortage, particularly on, on our home shores here in Aotearoa, and then add to that the evolution of AI, our economic uncertainty, weather events or whatever other crises you throw into the mix, half of which we don't know of yet. Mm. There is this sort of, you know, present moment. How do I manage what the job has become? But also, I think, the future. So in inclusivity is, is, is a good one that's sort of changed a heap over the last decade. And for a lot of leaders, 
we are in a space where if we don't future-proof ourselves, we're going to get left behind. And often we are leading multiple generations now in a workforce, half of whom we don't understand. So <laughs> there is a massive part of us keeping up with the pace of change, whilst, of course, that pace continually quickens. Yeah, and I guess we all learnt so much during the COVID times, you know, the, the whole working from home, the Zoom, the different space, and then there's many leaders out there that I know of that have continued that. they found that that worked well, let's continue that, let's grow it. And then you've got others that have sort of switched back and gone, hey, come on back in, we're going back to how it was pre-pandemic, we want everyone back in this. How do you find the happy medium? Is there a happy medium? That is a great question, and it's one I don't think I know the answer mm. to. I think whoever whoever does has the answer to what... <laughs> Call us I don't now. I don't find that ground, right? Yeah, Where, yeah. I think the, the thing with we particularly hybrid working is a great example. The thing that we've understood is that some people want to stay at home forever and can do their jobs at home. Other people want to come into the office mm. every day and hate being at home. And we can't find something that works for everybody because we're all different as, as individuals. So what is the middle ground that works for everybody? And how do we um, and enhance that flexibility that the pandemic gave us around working from home whilst it not costing us our team spirit, our collaboration, mm. Mm. our social interaction and connections? Yeah, yeah. Yes, finding that happy medium is so important. And, and I guess it's there's a high level of trust as well, how you build trust up as a leader with your team so that things like working from home can become something that your team can simply do if you're in a high-trust environment. Yes, definitely. And, of course, trust is, is the foundation of, of great leadership. Um, and I think that was the same before the pandemic, right? We've just had more flexibility to to exercise that in, in recent years. Mm. Now, I, I want to deep dive a little bit personally, if that's okay, because something that caught me in your media release is that you had your own brush with burnout in your corporate career, and you headed across the world to train with Buddhist monks and nuns. That's quite a burnout sort of contrast, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, most people just go to Bali, right? <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, or a local pub way too many times. I mean, whatever works, but yeah, across the world to train with Buddhist monks and nuns. But then I can, you know, I can just imagine how how fulfilling that would have been. What was your biggest takeaway from that? Oh, there were so many, Stephen. And I think for me, after burning out, just this constant always on and having to push through and more is always better and the more hours you work the more you'll produce that was kind of what led to my burnout and so I wanted to find another way I wanted to find a way that I could be productive be effective do my best but without it costing me my health in the process mm. and so I thought about the most peaceful calm people I'd ever seen and they were Buddhist monks and um, thought right okay they must know something about this how about I go and learn and see what we can take from that that works in our western world because I think it is easy to be zen or easier mm. to be zen if you're in a hilltop living in a monastery <laughs> and you don't have to have a nine-to-five job or commute they're not um, on zoom so. either <laughs> <laughs> well ex exactly right yeah. some are now oh, okay some are now, but <laughs> Certainly not to the degree that we are. Um, and I think for me, the key was this sustainability piece, this balance. And it's a difference that I often talk about um, and talk about in a book between quality and quantity. When we focus on the quality of what we're doing and the value and impact that we're having, 
it isn't about the quantity of what we do and the hours worked. In fact, sometimes the amount of hours we work can actually detract from the quality of what we're doing. So for me, my focus now is on creating the space in my brain and in my schedule to do my best work. And I find that then the work that I do doesn't take as long or feel as onerous. And I can focus on value and impact over hours worked and, and quantity and, and trying to juggle too many things because I think often that is a mistake. We think the busier we are, the more we'll achieve. And yet what actually happens is we're less effective and potentially then burn out as well. Mm. Now, our show listenership, we have a, a large component of listeners um, that are investors or uh, real estate agents or property managers or just people involved in that sort of that world of property and investment. Now, obviously, it's been a bit of a stressful past 12 months or so. Things have changed in the market. How do you lead a, a team, no matter how big or small, when you've got that financial stress in the mix? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, industries like this have, have been, um, you know, hugely affected by what's gone on in, uh, in our environment. And it's harder to do when you're leading others, right, to also mm. be able to then lead yourself. And role modelling in this space always comes first. And I think it's very difficult unless we've got our own self sorted to then be able to interact well with others and to lead others and to set an example and, and role model. And I think that sustainability piece is key. So what are you doing to refuel, to recharge? Mm. So many of us feel at the moment that our tanks are a bit empty and yet we're all running around with empty tanks not taking time out to refuel. And I'll often say to the people that I work with and in the workshops that I run, if you were in a car and your fuel light was on, yeah. you'd never dream of going past the fuel station. And yet we do this to ourselves all the time. You know, our, our inner fuel light is on saying, yeah. you, need to rest. you need to stop. And yet we don't. So where is the opportunity for you to recharge? What does that look like? Because we're all different. So we all have a different preference around how we refill our tank. But it's the priority of making sure we do that so that we can continue on this road trip and that we can be a sustainable resource. Hmm, I love that. I love that. Our inner fuel tank. Yeah, that could be quite a good meter actually for your staff at work if you're a leader too. You know, where's your fuel tank sitting? I went into an office the other day and their team leader, as every staff member walks in, says good morning and calls out a number. And I said, what's, I mean, I worked out where it was heading, but I was curious, you know, what's the significance of them going, morning, I'm a seven. And she said if, if they're a, a 6 to 10, I know they're in a good space, they're ready for the day, a 6 might need an extra cup of coffee, but otherwise they're good to go. If they're a 4 or 5, they're a little bit flat, might need a bit of motivation, so I'll look at what I can do in my day to provide motivation. And if they're a 1, 2 or 3, then I'm taking them out for coffee within the next hour out of the space because I need to check in what's happening in their world, home or work, and that's reduced that number. And it was lovely and private. It also was a face-to-face. She was able to eyeball them when they nice. said good morning and gave the number and I thought, brilliant leadership, absolutely brilliant. Now, yeah, real, real good example of that. Yeah, yeah, because that's that checking that fuel tank, you know, and, and the person that said three, their fuel tank was low, and it can often we forget it's what they bring in from home is, you know, can impact that fuel tank at work as well. Now, Definitely. I want to unpack some of your um, fabulous chapters in your book, Leaders In, and I'm just going to go through just a couple, and they were ones that sort of caught my attention. The f- first one being lead like you live, the authenticity. It's so important, isn't it, as a leader? You, you've got to sort of, what is it, um, set the bar, you know, s- show what you're prepared to be authentic through this process. 
Yeah, yeah, and I think for many of us, and I know for me this was true for my leadership journey, I had my first leadership role back in the UK, I was very young, I was in a male-dominated environment and I was the only female on the leadership team, and for me, I used to think that leadership looked like a certain thing and person that wasn't me, and so I would leave my Jeff hat at the door and put mm. my leader hat on, and they were two different things, mm. and it was exhausting. And I think, you know, we talk a lot about authenticity these days, but as leaders, we still feel this pressure to know all the answers, to have all the solutions, to have our game face on, and almost like an armor that we put on when we go into work, yeah. to, to be the leader. And yet being ourselves helps people connect to us so much more. Um, it helps, it, it, it obviously helps us be more effective and, and happier as well. And I think for me, this concept of leading like you live is who you are regardless of what's on your business card and where you are, whether you're around the boardroom table or whether mm. you're sat with your team or whether you're at home with your kids. And I think that enables us to bring our whole selves to work and that's the stuff that's so valuable, right? That's the stuff that makes us tick and makes other people want to follow us. Absolutely. Compassion and kindness. That's the next yes, chapter. Another part of, of, of leadership that we often feel we need to leave at the door, or I think there's, there's uh, historically been this risk that if we are too kind or present as compassionate that we'll get taken advantage of, and yet we're seeing that from a leadership perspective, particularly post-pandemic in the world that we now live in, that it's these skills that people are actually looking for. It's these skills that AI will find it difficult to replicate. These are the skills that will make the difference. And for me, leadership isn't something we we are. It's not a job title. It's something we do. And so compassion and kindness, yeah, I think um, Thich Nhat Hanh, the uh, Vietnamese monk, mm -hmm. late Vietnamese monk, often said compassion is a verb. And it's something that we do and such an important part of our leadership style because it means that we are thinking about others outside of ourselves and it means that we are trying to do things with the best of intentions. Mm. Now, I love your chapter, creating space for focus and flow that's so important yes this is my favorite chapter <laughs> i'm glad you like it too i know you shouldn't have a favorite child but um, <laughs> if, if, if i did in this book it would be that chapter because it's had such a massive impact for me this creating of space i'm, I'm very action orientated so i will happily sit at my desk and do as much on the to-do list as i can and it gives me that buzz that achiever buzz but i'm missing out on so much and i think as leaders if we're constantly immersed in back-to-back -back meetings emails and reports what we don't have is this space for innovation for strategic thinking for vision for thinking about all the stuff that hasn't actually come into our heads yet because we've stuffed it full of mm. all of the busyness mm. and the noise and i think it's in this space that we add the most value and impact as leaders but only if we're able to create this space yeah. and so that requires pulling us out of the busyness and the noise and getting some space to think about the bigger picture and I think that's been the difference, certainly for me and my business and for a lot of the leaders that I work with. But it's often something we don't allow ourselves the time to do, right? Because we're so busy and we want to kind of push through and get all these things done off our to-do list. And it's easy then to get distracted by the noise and the busyness rather than the value and impact and some of the uh, innovative strategic thinking that we might allow our brains the space for. Mm, absolutely. And the last one I want to unpack, calm is contagious. And, and I chuckle because... 
um, I'm a drama teacher before I came into to this current role, and you know, I love the dramatics, and I forget sometimes that me dramatically reenacting a moment can actually set off <laughs> the quite the opposite to calm is contagious. So I've had to learn myself leading a team about even how I present things in a way that doesn't, you know, you can still have some humour and some laughs, but without <laughs> without breaking the calm because you're so right. Definitely, yeah. And I think particularly from a leadership perspective, everybody looks to the leader and if the leader is panicking, everybody (laughs) else is panicking. And yet if the leader is calm, it is this kind of contagious feeling. And I know for myself when I worked in human resources, if we'd had a suicide on site, for example, and I was walking into that room, it was often that that people commented on. You were so calm even in that situation. And I think calm is contagious. When we walk into a room, it... It changes the atmosphere of the room before anybody has even spoken a word. And I think that's so powerful, particularly among the crises that we see happening all over the world and, and indeed on our own doorstep, um, more often these days than, than perhaps we were aware of, and the constant change and uncertainty that we live in. Hmm. All right. Finally, stepping away from your book now, talk to me about some of the ways people listening can engage with you because you do public speaking, but you also do a number of workshops. And I love, you know, confidence and burnout, leaders in, lead with confidence. You do executive coaching, activating allies, I like that title, and residential leadership program. Talk us through some of the workshops available. Yeah, so all of the books are available by workshop. So I do a lot of burnout to brilliant sessions with teams. Um, Leader Zen is available as a leadership development program. I often run uh, residential leadership retreats as well, um, as well as sort of uh, keynotes at conferences. Love getting out there and meeting people and, and sharing these thoughts um, on the stage. So there's a number of ways. Best place to reach me is my website, jessstuart.co.nz. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn as well and pretty active there. So lots of videos and blogs and further information if this stuff has um, piqued your interest. Brilliant. Awesome. And your book, Leader Zen, is available now. It can also be purchased through Jess's website. Um, We wish you well with every success, but I've got one final question. It's very important. Do you still love Mondays? <laughs> of course, Stephen. <laughs> even to, even today in, in winter when it's windy and it's raining. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, look, thanks for coming and chatting once again. We wish you every success, and we'd love to hear if anyone listening uh, gets in touch with Jess and picks up, you know, one of these books or stories. Come back and talk to us. Tell us about the difference that it, it made in your leadership journey, and we wish you all the success for the book sales. Awesome. Thanks, Stephen. Nice to chat. Awesome. Take care. Well, Ash and. Um, Quite does that inspire you? Are you feeling inspired now? Yeah, absolutely. She had a lot of a lot of good points, and I feel like she's got an interesting background, yeah. the corporate role, and the monks and all that training. So she's got a lot to share. And just you know, such I I really captivated by some of those chapters in the book. Just around, it's very practical, and I think as leaders, it's important to have real practical examples that you can just pull off. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like a lot of the points that she made. Um, and the things she had to say were definitely applicable not only to us as property managers as we can burn out, Mm. but just leaders in general, whether they're a leader of a small team or or of a large company. Yeah, brilliant. So pick up that book, Leader Zen. Now, Ash, you are a property manager, so tell us a little bit about yourself and your own journey in property management as we focus on this for the second half of the show. Yeah, well, uh, just before I became a property manager, I was a student at the University of Auckland, graduated with a Bachelor of Property, so I knew I wanted to get into the field, um, and then I was just 
applying and calling everyone, trying to find a job. Um, and it worked and it got me into to Greyland. Um, and yeah, two and a half years later, I've just got a lot of experience under my belt and definitely think it's a very rewarding and, and fun career. So talk to us about the area of Greyland. What's the market like as a place to invest in? Yeah, definitely think in general it's a very highly sought after area, both for tenants but especially for owners as naturally it is um, high demand for the properties in those areas and they just naturally get high rents. Mm. which is, you know, attractive for landlords. What's it like um, just as an area to, to live in as a suburb? I think it's I think it's great. I don't live there personally, but, I mean, it's a very diverse area, all different kinds of people, lovely cafes, shops, restaurants in the area, and you're just, you know, everything's at your fingertips with Ponsonby down the corner, yeah. Motorway City. Yep, exactly. So close to things. So, look, today I'm keen to focus on the topic of healthy homes, and the reason being we get lots of queries from both landlords and tenants who I don't think truly understand it. It's become the sort of catchphrase, and we know that it tops up some insulation, and we know we have to have it, but not a lot of people actually fully understand it. So let's break it down. From an owner's perspective, first of all, how would you describe to a new owner what exactly is healthy homes? Well, Generally speaking, it is legislation uh, introduced by the government a few years ago just to ensure that homes are a lot more uh, livable uh, for tenants, as uh, including you know warmth, ventilation, insulation, because you know you don't want any tenants living in cold or mouldy homes. So it's just really to shift the balance and kind of make homes a lot more attractive for, for tenants. So what are some of the things if we break it down that that you're having to have so we know insulation is one what else yeah insulation is one uh ventilation so that includes kitchen or bathroom which needs to be uh, externally ducted heating of course whether that be the fireplace or a panel heater or a heat pump uh moisture barrier to prevent moisture going up from the earth into the insulation underneath the house and then drainage and draft stopping so it kind of covers all bases of mm. the house yes yeah, or sort of anywhere air and cold can move around in. yes exactly so if kind of you've answered it, but you know, from a tenant perspective, what's the big plus side do you see for them? Yeah, mostly just to provide them a cosy home, something that's warm, insulated, ventilated, that they're, you know, happy to come home and, you know, turn on the heater and be warm in winter or in in the summer when it's hot, turn on the air conditioning and open the window. It's just, yeah, I feel like to make them, they feel a lot more comfortable. Mm, absolutely. Okay. Now, if you're an owner and you've just purchased a property or you've got a new tenant moving in, how long do you have to comply to get all those? Because I mean, there's often a heat pump shortage, you know, what do you do? Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, when the new tenancy starts, you've got 120, 120 days uh, or till the 1st of July in 2025. Uh, but if the property was tenanted prior to the legislation um, coming into effect in 2021, then it's not required up until the deadline of 1st of July 2025. Okay. Uh, talk us through the process. So for a company like yours, uh, if I'm a new owner, I've brought in, I've signed up a property with you, walk me through the steps you have to take to check that it's compliant or to get it compliant. Yeah, well, first thing we'll do, we'll, we'll get a healthy home report done from a third party. They, they go in and they assess all the areas that we mentioned previously uh, from heating and, and everything else. Uh, if everything is compliant, then perfect. The owner has nothing to worry about. Uh, if there are a few areas that failed, the uh, company does provide us with a few quotes um, for everything that's failed with very good competitive pricing. I then present that to the owner. 
and um, pending I get the approval or there were like alternative quotes, we, we get it done uh, either prior to tenants moving in or within that 120-day timeline. Okay, cool. What if there is, I don't know, something that there is just isn't the ability to do? So you mentioned, you know, uh, kitchen and bathroom and fans and it has to be ducted outside. What if that's just impossible without major sort of work or structure work to a building? Uh, there are exemptions that apply. Um, for example, I've had a few cases recently where it's not uh, practical to duck the range hood as it's kind of in the middle of the kitchen and the external wall is... It's not easy to access, so you just install a charcoal filter, so it absorbs all the oil and grease from the cooking. Um, but if there's no absolute way, then exemptions apply. For example, with insulation, if the house is built on a concrete um, ground, then there's no you know, uh, underfloor to put insulation in, so it'll be uh, exempt for underfloor insulation and, and moisture barriers installs. Okay. Again, we so often on the show we talk about using the professionals. Already you've convince me that I would be better to get you to organise this. <laughs> like, it's a lot for a private landlord to fill out because they also have a, a large statement, isn't it, that they need to give to exactly, the tenant? Exactly, yeah, and there's, there's fines that, you know, they could be liable um, for thousands of dollars if, if not compliant, so we, that's why we try to take the stress off the landlords so we get everything done correctly and follow legal procedure and so that they, you know, might not have to face any fines down the line. Any other tips or tricks around healthy homes? I would suggest this to any private landlords clients or my own clients to get it done as soon as possible because uh, prices will increase and demand will increase uh, I think in 2025 a lot of landlords will be running around trying to make compli- uh, their property compliant in the last minute and then that's just basic economics where there's uh, high demand, low supply and they'll be paying a lot, mu- a lot more than they would mm. had they done it now or next year for example mm. Now, if you're a landlord, you can head to tenancy.govt.nz, which is the Tenancy Services website. There's a whole section there on healthy homes, which also includes uh, the heating standards. So um, correct that a landlord has to provide one or more fixed heat heaters that can directly heat the main living room. Who determines the living room? Because... Man, I spend, when I get home at the end of a long day, I'd be heating my bedroom because that's where I tend to watch TV and call it a day. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, but do you make that call or does the assessor make the call? The assessors make the call. Um, it's pretty uh, reasonable for them to uh, decide what is the living room. Um, and some cases when there's more than one, because some properties do have two living rooms, whichever right. is the largest or the primary one is considered the one that needs to comply. Nice. Now, just having a look at this website, talking about the exemptions, there's also exemptions if you plan to demolish or substantially rebuild the rental property, um, and the exemption lasts for 12 months. Have you had many properties that had to use that? Just one, actually, recently, uh, where we had owners that planned to redevelop the property, and they had the resource consent to do so, Um, and so they were exempt for complying with anything of healthy homes. Uh, However, the sales side of things... You know, it's not the the kind of market that they want, so they wanted to rent it out again, and so that uh, exemption no longer applies, and we've made that property now compliant. Right. The draft stopping, quite quite tough, eh? Because that is, you know, looking at not just sort of gaps, you know, I envision sort of under the door, but it's holes in walls, ceilings, windows, skylights, floors and doors that cause noticeable drafts. Yes, 
And unused fireplaces, yeah. There's a lot of draft coming from that. Yeah, there's a lot of big one. You've got to get those capped off and, and blocked off if you know, n- neither party wants it to be used. What about drainage outside? It's just really checking all the gutters and the downpipes that there is efficient drainage to you know drain all all water and everything um, away from the property so it doesn't build up and cause any leaks or mould growth, for example. Mm. You mentioned having the underhouse with a you know ground floor cover. Do you get many tenants? I mean, I think growing up, our under the house was the storage zone of everything. Does yeah. that mean people can't store, or do they need to take things out, put down the ground cover, and then they can put things on top? Yeah, generally speaking, they can't install it if there's anything under there. So whether it belongs to the tenant or the owner, I would instruct which whoever the belongings belong to to remove them. We get that uh, moisture barrier installed. And then, like you said, a lot of tenants store a lot of things under the house. As long as it doesn't damage the product, and it's fine. Have you found, generally speaking, owners have been supportive of this and come on board? Yeah, definitely. Uh, with healthy homes in general? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's obviously a few that, you know, not necessarily disagree, but just think the, the expense is quite high for them, which is understandable. But generally, yeah, everyone gets along and, you know, makes the property comply either ahead of time or by the time they need to comply. Mm. Gee, being an investment program, I guess if we'd known this was coming a while back, uh, owning a heat pump company would have been the best investment oh, you yeah, could have made. A bit like when Spark rolled out fibre, you wanted to, or, or when the pandemic hit, you wanted to own shares in Zoom pretty yeah. quickly. Yeah, yeah. We missed that one. <laughs> so tell me, what do you love about property management? All the, the, the job... Every day is different. You know, there's no day that's the same exactly. And I get a lot of, um, you know, a lot of good feelings when I help owners and tenants. So help an owner rent out their property um, as it's an investment and they need to get a good return. And also just the seeing the smile on faces where they've, for tenants that have been approved that really love this home that they look forward to moving into and I get to make it happen for them. So that's quite rewarding. So talk us through the process of putting someone into a home, what sort of things are you looking for as a property manager? I think the number one thing is, is a first impression is, is always important hmm. when a person comes to view the property. Um, obviously, it's not always correct, the first impression, but you get a good feel of of um, the person or, or people. And then um, that's after the viewing. And if they apply, we just we process the applications with you know reference checks to make sure everything is is good and, and eventually a, a credit check once if we believe that that tenant you know can make the shortlist and then generally we'll pass on the um, application to the owner. I'll give them my input and um, advice along with maybe a few applicants at once and they can review and compare. But some landlords just give me the authority to make the decision myself. Nice. Again, trust the experts. Um, you. Oh, when a train of thought disappeared there halfway through. Um, oh, credit checks, that was it. Can somebody with a bad credit still end up renting a property? Like, are there reasons for that? Do you explore why they've gone into that situation? Yeah, it's not always uh, an absolute red flag and 100% uh, declining. Obviously, we like to get the backstory of it. Sometimes one simple uh, mispayment or mistake mm. from years ago shouldn't always hold someone back and like to give people second chances but we'd like to obviously be as careful as possible and try investigating get the context um, before counting someone out what about renting with pets yeah that's uh obviously there's a lot less properties available landlords are generally more opposed to renting with pets um so there's a smaller market for it but 
Does yep. that mean it's a good investment if you're prepared to let pets in? Yeah. Because surely that means if you you'll have, have a tenant that wants to stay longer because they know how difficult it is to get another one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And um, obviously there's pet clauses we put into agreement, so it covers the landlords that are a bit opposed to it. So if there's any damage done by the dog or the cat or whatever the pet may be, that you know the landlord's covered and the tenant has to rectify it. So I've had a lot of landlords change their mind that were initially opposed to it, that are open to it, and now allow it. Hmm. Um, how quickly do you turn around a, sort of an application process? Uh, depends on like the amount of applicants. But I try to do it as fast as possible to you know try fill the property for the owner and get the tenant in. Uh, anywhere between it could be one to two days or up to seven, depending on yeah the the demand. Uh, had properties where. Maybe a couple of months ago, a unit in Sandringham had about 200 people view it in one week. Wow. About 40 applications. I can't go through all of them. I'm just trying to have to, you know, find the best ones and process as much as I can to give as much people of a fair go. But, uh, yeah, that those kind of circumstances can take a bit longer than your couple applications for another house. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 200. Yeah. Whoa, that's a lot of paperwork coming through. Uh, he's still smiling, might I add, to those that can't see him. Still smiling. And tell me, what is it that you... Um, I guess you mentioned the variety, like no two days are the same. Yep. If you were talking to someone now who's thinking, is this a career choice for me, what sort of person would make a good property manager, do you think? I think uh, obviously just basic skills of time time management is definitely a, a key skill that we need to have in, in the role. Um, you like to de- dealing with people, so people person, because um, you're dealing with clients, dealing with contractors, you're dealing with tenants, so you're dealing with people on a daily basis and just someone that's motivated and obviously, well, I think uh, an interest or love for property is a bonus because you, I, I, with the Bachelor of Property background, I was interested in, in property and architecture and just going to see different types of properties, layouts, structures was quite interesting mm. and fascinating for me. But I think those are just kind of the basic things that, you know, someone would need. Mm, okay. What advice would you give to a tenant who is vacating the property, how is the best way of them getting their bond back? Yeah, so I try to train tenants on this. We do um, have a, when they say they want to give us notice that they're going to move out, we have this, I have this email that I send to them that kind of describes uh, cleaning tips and we give them a checklist that we suggest they follow or get a professional cleaner to follow, which kind of covers all the areas that we would like and expect to be reasonably clean. Um, and so if they follow that and if the house is reasonably clean, uh, they're pretty clear because that's probably the most thing that we deduct from the bond is um, is cleaning mm. and obviously to pay any pending invoices such as water. Um, and I've had a lot of tenants do this where, you know, wear and tear is reasonable and they make a little mark on the wall from furniture and they think that we'll deduct the bond that for that. But then they go and paint it and now it sticks out like a sore thumb <laughs> and now I've got to get the wall repainted. Right, and right. Just, just be up front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just tell me about it. I can tell you, <laughs> yeah, you need to get it sorted or, you know, it's just wear and tear and I can't ch- charge you for that. But now that they've gone and painted the wall, I've got to get it repainted and that could have been avoided. Brilliant. All right. Good last question. Going back to the first guest tonight, what in a nutshell do you think makes a good leader? Oh, uh, a lot of different things, obviously. Being able to motivate your your team, whether it be small or, or large scaled, um, being able to you know work with a different uh, role of people and just trying to motivate them and lead them and compassion is another big thing. Mm. I feel like uh, as you said with post, or as she said with post pandemic, mm. 
it's just times have changed and you've just got to be a bit more um, empathetic and have compassion and try to talk to your to your team or your employees because like you said you don't know what they're going through and if you can help them out either with a cup of coffee or a chat it goes a long way yeah absolutely thanks for coming in today we've run out of time if people want to get in touch with ash at graylin head to barfoot.co.nz forward slash graylin him and the rest of the team all their contact details available there and don't forget you can check out jess stewart and her book leader zen it's available now if you've got something to promote on the show or want to come and have a chat email us at property matters at barfoot.co.nz Thanks, Ash. Thank you for having me. See have you again one time soon. Everyone else, have a fabulous week. We'll catch you next Monday again on Property Matters. Good night.